Hello, Frighters! I'm Holland Elise, and this is Fight or Fright. Hello, 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 and welcome. This is episode three of Fight or Fright. I'm Holland, and I'm a motherfucking train wreck. (laughs) I've got a crazy week for you. Gosh darn. Okay. Now I'm going to start again. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode three of Fight or Fright, and I am Holland. I have one crazy case for you this week, but before I get into it, I just wanted to do some housekeeping slash notes at the top of this episode. I have an amazing friend, Perry, who's been helping me edit my last two episodes. She works for a university and is going to have a crazy week. I say all this to warn you that the audio may not be as good as it has been the past two weeks, but this episode is also going to be a little shorter. We're going to be back to the same normal next week. There's going to be another crazy case, and this week is just going to be a journey with us, and we're going to get through it together. But I also just want to say that during these COVID-19 times, I'm like, I'm a motherfucking train wreck and it's just crazy but I just I have ADHD and high anxiety so I just want to take a minute to talk to people about their mental health and if you're feeling sad lonely if you just don't feel like you're in the right headspace and you're down or depressed or sad there's always someone to help you there's always someone there for you and reach out to them because A lot of people at this time just are very down and low and it it sucks. It's a crazy time and it's not fun, but we're going to get through this. Everyone's going to be okay. But if you need a helping hand, don't be afraid to reach out. Your mental health is so important. So with that all said, be safe, be happy, be healthy, and now Let's get into the case. This week, I'm going to be talking about the case of Arlise Perry. Arlise was born Arlise K. Dikema, and she was born in Bismarck, North Dakota in 1955. She met her high school sweetheart, Bruce Perry. They went to the same high school, and they were just head over heels for each other. They loved each other. But... Bruce was a grade older than Arlise, so he graduated a year before her and left for college. They decided on a long-term relationship and just decided that they were going to be strong, that their relationship was strong enough to make it through a long-term relationship, so they just, they made it work. And after Arlise graduated, she followed Bruce to California. She worked as a receptionist at a law firm, and Bruce was pre-med at Stanford. So they'd been married around six weeks, 
And on October 12th, 1974, their lives changed forever. So the couple was taking a walk together on the Stanford campus. They got into a minor tiff. I mean, they'd only been married six weeks and he had been gone for a year in college. So they didn't get to see each other that much. I mean, every normal, healthy couple has some minor disagreements and arguments. It, it just happens. Anyone that's been in a relationship knows that. But Arlise was very religious, so when they got into that fight, it was around 11.30 p.m., she decided she wanted to go to the chapel on Stanford's campus, and she wanted to pray. But most importantly, she wanted to be alone. She just wanted to be by herself and kind of cool down and let Bruce calm down. So she went to the chapel, and... At like three in the morning, Bruce became very worried when she had not returned home. It's not like she had family or friends or anyone in this area. So it was kind of weird for her not to come back. He was like her only person in that in that town. She didn't know anyone else. So it was just weird for her not to come home. So he called the Stanford police and went to check the chapel. But it was locked from the outside. So the police officer was like, "Ah, eh, it was locked. No one could be in there. So he, he walked off, just brushed it off and thought everything was fine. And then at 5.45 a.m., Stephen Crawford, who was a co- campus police officer, went to the church and found Arlisa's body in the back of the church. He spoke to the police after finding the body and told them that he locked the door around midnight because there was no activity inside. He told them that he did another check at 2 a.m. And then finally, he went to open the chapel doors for the day at 5.45 a.m. And that's when he found the body. And he noticed that the door had been forced open. So I want to warn you, I haven't done anything this graphic in the last two episodes. It is graphic. It's not for the faint of heart. If you want to skip like 15 seconds, like feel free. I completely understand. It's it's a little hard to hear some of the things that happened to Arlise's body. So Arlise was found in the back of the church. She had an ice pick to the head, a candle between her breasts, And she also had a candle inserted in her vagina. She was naked from the waist down. Investigators were able to find semen on a kneeling pillow that was next to the body. There was also a partial palm print found on one of the candles. I know just as much as everyone else that in the true crime world, everyone's like, the husband did it, blah, 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 blah. But in this case, Bruce was ruled out And he was ruled out fairly quickly, including Arlise and Crawford. There were seven people that were in the chapel that night. The investigators were able to track down six of them. So that means there was only one person that they weren't able to identify. And a witness came forward saying that they noticed a man going into the church around midnight. He had sandy hair. He was of medium build and about five foot ten. 
the police were completely stumped. They didn't know who this man was, and they had no leads. The palm prints they had and the semen they had didn't match anyone. It didn't match anyone pertaining to the crime. They had no idea where to go from here. And DNA tests at this time were super limited. There were not many developments, and there was not much they could do. It was just kind of a... It wasn't a great system for DNA in the 1970s. There were many theories that had started at the beginning of this investigation. One of the most prominent theories was that this was a satanic killing. The Manson family murders were about five years before this in California. And this was in the midst of the satanic panic. It was an obvious theory for them, but it also didn't bring them any closer to the actual culprit because you can say it's like a satanic cult or a satanic killing, but that doesn't necessarily point you in the direction of who actually did these murders. There was another theory that David Berkowitz, aka the son of Sam, was involved. He made a comment about knowing something about the murder of Arlie's Perry. He said, I had to laugh about your call to Bruce Perry. Miss Perry made the same mistake. She called them too. But the strange part of it is that his name is not only Bruce Perry, but it is Bruce D. Perry. And not only that, but it is Bruce Duncan Perry. And he attends Stanford University. And he just got married this summer. One thing. His wife's name is not Arlise. Anyway, next time you get the urge to call, the number is blank. This time, I guarantee you'll get the right Bruce Perry. And then, I mean, this is a silly theory, but there was, there was also a theory that the Zodiac Killer was responsible. There was also a religious group at the time that was called Process Church of the Final Judgment. Their shorthand was The Process, and they reportedly had ties to Satanism. While in Bismarck, it's reported that Arlise attempted to save some of the people in the organization. Like I said, she's very religious, so she tried to talk to these people. People believed that in retaliation, they followed Arlise to California and got their revenge. The thing is, it doesn't make much sense because why would they go through that much trouble? It's not even said if Arlise reached anyone and got any of the members to convert to Christianity. And California is a long way to travel just for revenge, for talking to some of their members. And years later, the police gained another suspect. That night at the church, there was a flutist playing at the altar. This lead came many years later and it went absolutely nowhere because this flutist was not involved. That's why I'm not even going to give his name. He is just not involved. The day before Elise was murdered, a co-worker saw her arguing with a man that looked to be around 20 years old. The two were arguing and the co-worker assumed it was her husband, Bruce, and didn't think much of it at the time because, like I said, couples fight, you have arguments, it's not always hunky-dory all the time. So at Arlise's funeral, 
the coworker finally actually met Bruce and was completely shocked because it was not the same man that she saw arguing with Arlise. Her description was closer to the unidentified man that entered the church around midnight, soon after Arlise. It was thought that this was a premeditated murder, mostly because of the ice pick. Who would go into a church holding an ice pick? Also, who did the co-worker see Arlise arguing with? And was that the same person as the person entering the church around midnight? So now I'm going to kind of circle back to someone that I spoke about before. So Crawford was a military vet and eventually he was also an armed police officer. He had been reduced to unarmed security. I didn't really see why, but I think in things coming up, you'll be able to figure out why he was reduced to unarmed security. In a way, he was disgruntled and he was eventually fired as an unarmed security guard because of thefts from the Stanford's anthropology department and the library. And he was arrested for it in 1992. So on June 28th, 2018, Stephen Crawford was officially linked to the death of Arlise Perry due to major advancements that occurred in DNA testing. The police went to serve their arrest warrant, but when they got there, Crawford completed suicide in front of them. He didn't want to face justice. He knew they were coming after him, and he took it in his own hands, which which is sad because from all accounts, Arlise was a great person and a beautiful soul and religious and just... and loved her husband, Bruce. So Crawford's landlord talked about how Crawford was a good man who never caused any problems and spoke about these statues that he had. And I thought that was super, super odd. But when I did a little more digging, I found out that the importance of those statues is they were kind of reminiscent of the thefts that he was arrested for in 1992. Santa Clara County Sheriff Laurie Smith has spoken about the possibility that Crawford had more victims. It is said that at Crawford's place, police found serial killer literature. Smith's department has also compiled a chart of unsolved homicides, and they're looking into them to see if any of them occurred when he was living in the area. And one of these unsolved homicides is the murder of Leslie Perlov in 1973 and David Levine and Janet Ann Taylor. These were all made their way onto the chart. So we'll never fully know if he was connected to the other murders, but this murder just feels like it wasn't done by someone who hadn't committed any crimes in the past. It just seems to me that the amount of aggression, the the candles, the ice pick, all of that, it's just, it seems to me that this is someone that's committed a crime before. So although we can't physically tie him to the crimes of anyone else, 
I would kind of be surprised if he hadn't committed any other ones. But again, there's no proof of this. So this is just speculation on my part and only opinion, because when he committed completed suicide, we'll now never really know the extent of his crimes. All I can say is that I'm glad that they had the DNA and palm print and that in the 70s, they still had the forethought to keep it protected in a way that when they went back to it in 2018, they were able to get a DNA link to Crawford so that Arlise's family and the people that loved her could come to terms with the crime, even though it was so long until they were able to find out what actually happened and who actually attacked Arlise, they now know. So that's the case I have for today. Again, sorry, it's a little bit, a little bit shorter than the last couple of ones. And Case File did a very, very good podcast episode on this. So if you want to hear more about Arlise, uh, I highly suggest listening to the Case File episode because I think Case File is an amazing podcast and I need, they definitely have more listeners than me. So I don't know why I'm really plugging them because I don't have as many listeners. But if you want to learn more about Arlise Perry, Case File is a very good way to do that. But yeah. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Fight or Fright. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fight or Fright Pod and on Gmail at Fight or Fright Pod at gmail.com. Twitter is the only one that's a little bit different in there, and that's at Fight Fright Pod. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it, and it would really help me if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Even just spreading the word to family, friends, people you know that enjoy true crime, mysteries, paranormal, all of that kind of stuff. And this is Holland, and I'll see you next week when I tell you another crazy story. And remember, you don't have to fight this fright. <laughs>